Thompson. You can find me on Instagram at Saul Thompson. And I'm joined this week not only by my wonderful co-host. I'm Michael Smith. You can find me on Instagram at, at underscore Smithstagram. But this week by a very special guest. It's none other than Michael Fang of Wenju Lu. We are in his studio. I guess him and his partner's studio. He's very gracious to have us. Um, Michael, how are you? Where can we find you? Hey, well, it's nice that you guys are having me here in my own studio. And um, this is Michael Fang. Um, I'm one half of Studio Wenju Lu. You can find my on Instagram on like at canned junk. Nice. You have a great at. And then Wenju Lu is just W E N J U E. Is there an underscore? W E N J U E L U. Oh, okay. I didn't Wenjulu. know if there was an underscore. Cool. But thank you so much to everybody for joining us. If you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and follow the page. Uh, and if you are listening to this, either on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review. It really helps. Anyway, how is everybody today? Now that the admin is out of the, yeah, out of now the way. We, now that we've got all the boring stuff out of the way. Um, <laughs> we, I, we've been trying to do this for a while. We've been looking forward to this mm. for a while. Um, since Commune, because you were... You, yeah, that was six weeks ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so you, you were stocked at Commune, and mm-hmm. we... Can't believe it's been so long since Commune. I know, it's been a while. It's something else now. I know, it's I a, saw that. It's like a Comme des Garçons... Yeah, but it's got like a... Sacrilegious. It's got like a, a, a pun name. It's like come come day fuck down, but I don't know what it actually says. It's yeah. like it's like come come on in or something, oh. but with C O M M E. Nice. Um it's something like that. Um Stellar, as I pour wine all over my new shirt. That's great. Classic. I love that for me. Some natural dye. Yeah. Got the got the got the wine stain Lacoste. Yeah. I okay. mean, all right. What's up? I can take that to a dry cleaner later, even though Michael hates dry cleaners. <laughs> That's not real. Dry cleaners aren't real. Um Damn. <laughs> Two minutes in, I got to deal with that for the entire episode. Fuck. Okay. Saul's had three sips of wine. He is out. Yeah. Um, we should do a fit check. We should. Tell me about your wine stained outfit. Yeah, so the wine stained shirt I just got yesterday. So happy that it's already wine stained. Uh, it is an old vintage Lacoste polo um, that I got from my very nice friend Enrique. He's over at Fine and Dandy. Uh, I think this store is Throwback, but on Instagram it's Archives. Um, I'm wearing some RM Williams boots, some striped gold jeans, and a uh, cardigan that I designed with, um, oh, it's at ribbed for your pleasure, and it's got uh, a water tower on the back from Hilla and Burned Besher. Oh, we can finally show people Yeah, this. right? Isn't We've that crazy? We've about it for so long. So it's it's my favorite photography series. It's like post-war industrial, great, I'm just Beautiful. breaking everything today, <laughs> um, post-war industrial Germany, and they basically took photos of industrial structures whether it be grain silos or water towers or i think they did playgrounds as well if i'm not mistaken and then facades of old houses um but took them as if they were portraits um which i thought was really interesting very striking 
one of my favorite photography series. It's B E C H no B E S C H E R, I believe. Besher. Um, yeah. But yeah. uh wonderful. And I'm very happy that uh she made it for me. Nice. Should I go into what I was wearing as well? Because there was there was a lot more Yeah, sure. It's winter now. It's well, it's cold. We'll <laughs> yeah. do the Give me give me a full rundown. Okay, so I had a sample <laughs> uh Raf Calvin coat that was from the unreleased last runway before he got axed. And then a pair of fishing gloves. Um, I had a scarf and then a uh, a beanie that my sister gave me like two years ago for Hanukkah, which is super cool. One day um, I'm going to wear so many layers that uh, we never actually get to the podcast. <laughs> You're going to wear like 15 next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should have should have stocked up on layers because this is going to be the whole podcast. Yeah. You can go through every chains and accessories. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll I'll go link by link on this chain. Yeah, you're going link for link right going now? Going link for link. <laughs> you ever gone link for link? Um, Run us through it, Michael. I'll do a quick rundown. Yeah. Um, Balenciaga Trooper Boots. Lou Dan, big old 70s bell-bottom jeans. Uh, a bright yellow Balenciaga campaign shirt because Saul complains that I never wear color. You, so yeah, I, you I, very rarely do. So we're doing light colors today. Um, I had a, I fucked it up with a black turtleneck. Yeah. And then I have a, a big gray coat. Nice. And then I've got some, so we've got on this finger. I'm not nah, do the standout pieces for you. Yeah. So cool. that I get some context. Okay. Yeah. The my my favorite piece of jewelry I am currently wearing um is a little guy. A little guy. Yes. Not, we a love wen- little guys. not a Wenju Lu little guy. Uh which you have on. We kind of yeah, have matching little guys. That little guys <laughs> the meeting of the little guys. Y'all ever seen the little guys like that? Um <laughs> this is made by my friend in Arizona. Um his Instagram name is Tartaryar. Um yeah, and then a, a big old big old chain from this guy Ripper Chains on Instagram. Ripper Chains, is Ripper crazy. Chains. Fiona got me that for uh, it's bomb for ass birthday. handle. Nice. Yeah. All what right, about you, us, Michael? Give yeah. us the run through. Give us the full run through. Um, I love your shoes. I think they're what Visum Christos. This is um Sweet Coke. Sweet Coke. Oh, fuck. Sweet Coke. This is like I thought this was just a special collab or something, but it got this you know like Native American like you know the vibes. But then I thought it's like, oh, maybe they're collaborating with either some Japanese brands or Native American brand. But no, they kind of just came out with this style. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, I don't have to pay, you know, collab price. It's just <laughs> it kind of goes with the, like, the color tone that we've been doing with Wendry Lu. So I'm wearing like hat to toe Wendry Lu. The bottom is a, a sample um, from the latest like annual collection 2023. This is called the uh, wavy pants. So you can kind of see like Every seams right here, none of them are like straight. Mm. So mm. overall, they create like a flowy, wavy effect. And then um, just underneath this, it's like my uh, my tops are all from our first collection, okay. collection 2022. So this um, inside is a tank top on the very inside, just like, you know, your basic hangs. And then outside area with this like almost translucent, really like a tightly woven but kind of thin mm-hmm. cotton um, um, long sleeve shirt. And then this is from collection 2022, and outside got this um, um, this um jacket from um also collection 2022. This is a wrong lapel um jacket, and then you can kind of see the mismatch lapel. Oh. But the fabric itself is kind of like um, it's from like the southern part of China, from mm. just like um ethnic minority called the Dong people, D O N G. Shout out to the Dong women's because the Dong women's for generations, they be like from scratch making the fabrics and then making the garments they would dress their entire family by the age of 18 they need to learn to do all that do you get a lot of your fabrics from them right you were wearing when we michael and i first met we went for coffee it was pouring rain you were i don't know if it was that jacket behind me i don't know if the camera can see it, it but you were wearing like a long that is jacket right there right yeah there. 
but that was just basic muslin because the one I was wearing is also on muslin samples. Got it, got it, got but it. But we try to use like um, the definition of muslin, kind of borrow it a little mm-hmm. bit and try to like do our own little twist. So basically, we kind of turn our entire sourcing philosophy around what is a muslin. It's like unbleached, undyed cotton mm-hmm. that people so overlook as like, you know, just draft paper for fashion majors so that people don't get to appreciate the beauty it is as actually just natural, this beige off-white color, mm-hmm. no pun intended. You kind of just get straight from the actual plant yeah but i was also gonna say he came in obviously our michael smith was not there um but he had come in from the rain and you could see the rain sort of soaking up the sleeves and discoloring which was really cool Mm -hmm. and i asked him i was like wouldn't you know wouldn't that destroy the jacket itself like does that upset you he was like no it's the way it's supposed to be i actually enjoy like getting it wet and having it look different and it mm. sort of absorbing the color, which I really like. Because from the, even just water, you get water stains. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on light, you know, really? a, a transparent, like almost like an off-white fabric that's really light and natural. The water stain kind of comes off as like a, mm-hmm. a brownish red color, almost brownish orange. Yeah. And then with like, you know, this wavy ripple effect across where the stuff that's wet, the entire silhouette mm. of it. So it's like almost the same energy. I was like, now you have to like almost dip the entire polo shirt in yeah. wine now. Just do the natural <laughs> dye, go all the way through. So like, it's always my, you know, philosophy and yeah. our philosophy with garments. You kind of just like, it's like a van sneaker. You have to wear the fuck out of it. Yeah. Can I swear? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Go crazy. I'm, I'm relieved. <laughs> My mom listens, and you will have to answer to her. But, um, <laughs> other than that, you're fine. Yeah, I, I um, can answer all questions. Let's uh, bring it on. This, this does bring up a question that I had the second I saw you, which is, are you a very careful person? Because if I was mm. wearing this outfit, it would be covered in, like, coffee and, like, peanut butter and <laughs> jam. Like, I'm horrible at not spilling on anything. Do you... Is this, like, a concern? I think this is almost like a... In retrospect, right now we're like appreciating the the so-called like dirty look, the muddy looks. Mm-hmm. Like people like idolize that Balenciaga show in the in the swamp, in the in the oil swamp. But then it's for us. It's always like we love to do pants that's like so long, kind of drags to the mm-hmm. floor, and then just on the concrete floor, you kind of just like rip them and and you know yeah, let it do its thing. Right, yeah. wherever you walk, you like kind of create a path with your pants and kind of document that memory with kind of every step so that rain I can see that water stain remember that was I was going to you in that yeah. crazy ass heavy rain <laughs> with that crazy storm yeah. that we haven't seen in a while kind of in the city and that stains it will remind me the marks maybe like you know half a year five yeah. years later yeah. I'll look at it and it's like yo this is where I really first met so like that yeah I, I appreciate that, but most of mine are like toothpaste <laughs> and like, 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 you know, I got, I got jeans with like a big old toothpaste stain. On. Oh, this is the morning I was hungover. This over. is the morning I was like brushing my teeth. Yeah. Like I, I so don't always I, have right, good memories on mine. Good kind of stains and bad kind of stains. Maybe yeah. toothpaste on what I'm wearing. Good yeah. coloring. It's almost yeah, no, like I'm trying good. to do my jealous things to it. But then you can also, I would just go get some Chinese hot pot and get some mm. you know, chili oils yeah. on it. But, you know, for us, it's like, yo, if it's too embarrassing, like, don't don't feel embarrassed to wear it again. Just, like, put something over it, right? Yeah. So we do this patching, you know. Uh, patching over stains. Patching over stains. Uh. We try to, like, every garment, like, the same, the, you know, the only thing making us not feeling confident to call ourselves not a fashion designer, but trying to, just, like, use garment to express is, like, mm-hmm. we promise to fix every piece of garment mm-hmm. for life with this visible mending patch on it so that you know you don't feel embarrassed but then we want to like have this to be a good start so yeah. eventually you might like 
yo, it's actually good. I can keep the same piece alive and then kind of like transform it and live with it, create memory as I go, and then I kind of learn how to patch over it myself. Yeah. I do love visible repairs. Something else that you were telling me is that you were having or going to have or have had, I think both, like mending workshops. And I don't know if they'd be here or wherever they would be, but people could bring in clothes, not necessarily from Wenjulu. I think that would be Yo, ideal. Michael, can you grab like the fish towards you Little fish. on the table? So, yeah, that's a good point because this is like when we do started the workshop like earlier last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we just started to use this, right? What Capital is famous for, like they borrow like the Japanese sashiko technique and borrow techniques. And then they kind of transfer onto a pair of jeans and making like, you know, a crazy story in the world that it had. So for us, it's like that's beautiful. And then we also kind of um, had our fair experience kind of, you know, Lulu, my partner, mm-hmm. the other half of Wendrilu. Um, she kind of get um, her first taste of sashiko by trying to just doing like some texture on fabrics mm. during her like undergrad program in like Parsons fashion design and she was like doing this like already you can see this dotted yeah. right that's basically called uh, a running stitch yep. and that's like the most basic it's like the line you draw to like paint with sashiko basically mm. and Lulu was doing that on the on fabric manipulations and then it wasn't until later that she kind of came across like sashiko, maybe like an mm. article, maybe a video about it. And it's like, oh, people were doing it in the past. And I kind of, you know, that kind of caught my attention as well. So we kind of want to like look into it. And then we realized, yo, there's specific tools that you have to get. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. like um, a specific way of the hand movement you have to do it to call it like maybe a more authentic way of doing sashiko. Mm-hmm. And it's always by hand. So mm-hmm. whenever it's like doing done with machine, it's tarnished in a way. And, you know, Nike once did, like, and they're still doing it. They call it the Sashiko Packs. It's basically some, you know, SB dunks. I have uh, basketball <laughs> basketball shoes from those. Sashiko Pack. And oh, those were, yeah. like, all done by machine, basically. Yeah. You, you got that fake-ass Sashiko. Yeah, that, that foo Not trying to call you out, but just, no. like, a call into the fashion <laughs> no. Oh, no, industry call them out. out. Yeah, call me out. No, they're um, also from Kyrie Irving, who is a noted, like, flat earther. Just crazy. I think it's really funny. Uh, you got them flat earth dunks. Yeah. Um, I think before we get too far into this, um, it's worth just sort of giving a quick overview of mm. what Wenjulu does because you, you kind of do everything and I think people people like see one side of it and a lot of people yeah. don't understand that you sort of, you encompass pretty much everything. So what's, yeah. what's like a, what's a like summary of, of all the things you do, I guess? I think like right for every collective for every like creative entity they don't always start with like i'm I'm starting with this product they always Mm kind of like what can i bring with this and then what do i mean what kind of statement i'm trying to make so for us it's very important that we get that straight for ourselves so we kind of compared to how fast the world is constantly accelerating we found this term we kind of just term it slowness Mm -hmm. that we do want to inject with every um, intentional move in terms of creative expressions mm-hmm. and then we kind of also co- are connected by how actually crazy the fashion and the art industry is and we were trying to like look at those um, industry for it's what it is and then see do we really want to get associated with them mm-hmm. and we realized that no like we're doing um, garments mm-hmm. we don't want to associate with the fashion industry we don't want to define them as fashion because an apple 100 years ago is apple you eat on the tree. Yeah. But like Apple now is just like, you know, infinite AirPods and Macs. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, words are actually pretty deceiving mm-hmm. in a way, right? 
the spoken language, the oral language, and also the written ones. Mm-hmm. Text is only like one way for us to communicate, but why do we need to carve stuff on the on the cave walls like that many years ago? Mm-hmm. We need to like tap into a different language that's mm. not bounded by a written one yeah. and oral one. Yeah, I think it's is it, it is very interesting to see you create a visual language and storytelling as well because you have pretty incredible storytelling. There's a um, probably should have brought it, but a, I hesitate to call it a catalog, but a book Michael gave me. But it's got poetry. It's got again like written statements. It's got photography, um, and then it's accompanied by even like made objects. I, over there, I can see them. It's uh, the sphere, mm. the cone, and I forget the third one. Um, they're over there on the the thing. I took a video of them. Um, yeah, that was from our last um, presentation on yeah. our latest collection that we're trying to fabricate as a fashion runway show. But mm-hmm. in its actuality, it's none of that for us. It's like a performance art piece yep. that kind of just features performers in garments with mm-hmm. set designs. That's not supposed to just be set installations, yeah. but rather be like just art piece and sculpture in its own. Yeah. So we're kind of trying to tap into all those like. Um, mediums and try to combine mm. a neither thing that's like not this and not that but yeah. like they kind of like all of that at the same time but by mm. being all of that they're betraying what each was meant to be and how mm. each was actually kept at its fixated definition of that word at this point like what does fashion mean right now yeah no i think that even ascribing a word to i mean you think about art you something immediately pops into mind you think of performance art something else immediately pops to mind you think of fashion something pops into mind even clothing if you were to you know associate it with that brings up certain connotations and i do think it is interesting to not ascribe to any one of those not for fear of being boxed in but just not wanting to be attached to the connotations associated with any one mm-hmm. word which i think is really cool and you also do a lot of stuff it's not just fashion so. No. Yeah, I mean, like you know, looking around the studio, there is uh, there's sculptures hanging everywhere, mm-hmm. but like fa- fabric sculptures. Yeah. There's there's this giant <laughs> hand right here. There's there's racks of clothing behind us. I know there's um like there's jewelry work. There's just like objects, of necklaces, any sort. brooches, like any sort of like you you kind of seem to do a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciate. Is there like a is there like a sequence of events that like mm-hmm. led from like one thing to the next? Like what, what made you start a new thing like sculpture after you've done like clothing or any of that? So yeah, we would definitely has there's a sequence of events as to like how we developed as um, two individuals. Like that's actually where kind of started this thing when we were um, in undergrad, mm-hmm. both me and my partner Lulu, the two of us. Lulu has a fashion background, I just mentioned, and I have a background in uh, media culture and communication. And it's just mostly pretty, like, theoretical and kind of bland stuff without, like, without, if you don't come really combine it with something physical. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of maybe for me a blessing that I can maybe align with what Lulu's interest in and our common interest in art itself. Mm-hmm. And kind of maybe we're, we're questioning, trying to questioning the white cube culture as well to see actually it's pretty bounded but then Lulu has this background in fashion. So when 2020, when we first started, it's actually also everybody knows this when the Black Swan pandemic hit. So for Black us, Swan pandemic? So Black Swan is like describing a really rare event. Oh. So it's like in maybe a thousand or a hundred swans, you get a black one as a gene mutation. Oh. So right. that's okay. like the terminology like that. they would use yeah. to like say, oh, and this is really weird. Maybe when like the, you know, bubonic, 
plague hit, yeah, they yeah. would call it a black swan because nobody can really predict and I prepare like for it. Huh, interesting. So yeah. when the black swan plague hit? <laughs> so for me um, and Lulu, pandemic, it's almost like a, you know, not to pun Oppenheimer, it's like a atomic bomb that mm. drop and kind of level some ground. And then amid the ruins, you see some buds come out. People were like, oh, I can't do this job that I've been doing for you yeah. know my last yeah. 10 years anymore. Yeah. And they're forced to pivot. Some of them survive, some of them didn't because that's what atomic bomb does. Yeah. So when you survive, you kind of realize that, yeah, the radiation kind of taught me not to do this. I kind of have to try this. And then mm-hmm. you can kind of realize, yo, maybe this is who I am. Like, this feels much better. I yeah. feel like alive, even though everybody's complaining about their lives. <laughs> and then it's pretty interesting moment for us as well, because when we, when Lulu graduate 2020 undergrad, mm-hmm. there's no job to be fine. Yeah. So what yeah. I was to do, but to like, you know, stay depressed at home, <laughs> but then kind of you have a hand that's itchy. Yeah. Yeah. And you were both in New York. Um, do you think that being in New York, especially and being exposed to one, the fashion culture here, but just to like the art and the, I would just say like the experience of being in New York has informed your practice here at all. Do you think that you would not necessarily categorize it, but say that this brand resonates more with New York than any one given place, or is it sort of separate from that? Um, I think at this point, right. That's a, thank you for that question. So for me, it's like, right. New York, really what makes us who we are mm-hmm. in a way but also there's also this interesting stereotype right when you do something as this nationality you kind of yep. have to cue cue your nationality you use like you know blue red and blue like um white yeah, and, like, yeah. when you're american sometimes you like do those color codings and like you know it's almost like people will kind of question you when you don't use the red and yellow Sure. As mm. Chinese to cue anything. And for, mm. but for us, the way we see it, like I can't really choose where I'm born into. So yeah. I was already born Chinese. So like whatever I'm do, they're already fixating that definition. So wherever I do will be Chinese influenced. Yeah. Right. And then we're here in New York, like maybe the best city in the United States. And right. At least they That's have correct. The, Fuck LA. all the best. <laughs> right. Exactly that. All the good museums are here. So yeah. we're like blessed to kind of write stumble into the mat stumble into the guggenheim and you yeah. know all these like sporadic smaller ones independent ones as well mm-hmm. and just pretty very very inspiring for us to like oh you can you can do this with that mm-hmm. you can do that with this and then it's like almost like a realization moment that when lulu's already on her fashion program mm-hmm. exposing to this art she doesn't want to really make clothes anymore because yeah. at a very early point she realized the fashion industry is fucked and for me to be on my major is like at an early point, I realized the world is pretty fucked. It is difficult. I mean, you and I talked about this as well, but with fashion, even still, which is kind of remarkable to say, but accelerating it, you know, a crazy pace, it perpetuates things like slave labor, it perpetuates things like unsafe working conditions, you know. Child just, labor as well. Yeah, I mean, it just gets sort of worse and worse, unfortunately. And it is sort of astonishing to see people, one, turn a blind eye, but then two, sort of as a positive effect, really celebrate the people that break away from that. And I think it is really telling that, you know, I asked you, like, would you want to mass produce things? Would you want to make things, you know, like 10 ofs? Because I think a lot of your things, and correct me if I'm wrong, are either one offs or they're either 
they're made in very small batches. Yeah, they right? either like um if we we have like a sizing system there we try yeah. to be unisex. So it goes from like, you know, the number kind of borrowing the Japanese system and expanding it. So from number one to six mm. is like from like this more petite size to like the, the really oversized ones. Yeah. So for us it's trying to so so for some of the styles that we do can't afford to make you know maybe one per size mm-hmm. we will do it and that's most of the time the most we do like one or two pieces per sizes because we try to um forego um the part that when you mass produce it you can your factory will give you some tips it's like mm-hmm. you'll do this this the stitch this way maybe like change your curve this way makes it easy for me and then makes it cheaper for you yeah. that's the kind of compromises that we don't want to make when we make clothes because yeah. that means you're making trying to make a fashionable product then yeah not really like clothes that can mean something other than something that make you just only look flashy on the outside yeah is is it all done here like all the all the stuff's made in in this room we um developed the um all the samples first sample and the concept of it in the studio and then we work with um closely with um hong Kongese owned factory in um garment district oh i remember we talked about this so he mentioned in the garment district they also make wedding dresses and i was like would you ever make a wedding dress Whoa. And I think you said yes, but you wouldn't I, have to break the color scheme. No, you wouldn't. It's, it's, but that would look one incredibly cool. Please, if somebody's getting married, <laughs> get your wedding <laughs> dress from Michael. So I want to see it. But I, yeah, like I, you know, I asked you, and I guess you know, not to gate our conversation to the conversation we had in the coffee shop on like a rainy day three or four weeks ago. But are there other things that you've been intending to make either? jewelry or sculptures or a wedding dress you know places you want to break into things you want to try to make yeah to go down that arch we started with garment and then mm-hmm. find the way to express with garment so we started make like you know fabric covered sculptures mm-hmm. in the fine art sense so we kind of branch out from a garment collection that doesn't yeah. want to be fashion collection but it kind of falls in that category because that's the fixed definition we have yeah. for fashion and whatever we make, if you make clothes, you're making fashion stuff. But even yeah. though if you don't think it that way, you kind of have to convince a billion other people to do that. Yeah. So for us, that's what we want to do. And we kind of pivot to the sculptures and then realize that the moment we hit the sculpture point, we realize, no, it's not like A and B we're choosing between here. It's about the C and D and E and Fs. But <laughs> like underneath that is like something you kind of generalize as the alphabet. And for us, the alphabet is right, your philosophy and then, um, excuse me, your philosophy, and then also, right, what's, like, driving the concept, what kind of message do you really want to bring? Sure. Like, right, eventually, people kind of land somewhere really cliche and big. It's like, I want to change the world, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, but we do kind of think that, like, we kind of need to change the world, make everything better, but we really have to do it physically, hands-only, and then communally, mm. and then we kind of see that, Yes, through creative outputs mm-hmm. and artistic expressions in any kind of medium and trying to redefine what kind of medium can be used. It's um, really the key for us to communicate through something that's not just simply spoken yeah. or like simply written. But, you know, we still recognize the cruciality of writing stuff and, you know, pitching your stuff, presenting your stuff mm-hmm. orally. But then that's the baseline, right? That's the foundation. Why are we even talking about things having good or bad writing? You know, you yeah. need good writing to, prog- you know, get anywhere beyond to inform your other stuff. In that same vein, though, do you think that 
good art, and I'll, I'll generalize a little bit, but good art and good clothing, to have those explanations and to be able to have people understand what you're going for, is good art gated by the quality of writing and the quality of communication about said art? Do you think that people by themselves can glean independently what you're trying to go for? And I guess, is it okay for people to not necessarily get where you want them to go, whether it be in communicating a concept or an artistic idea, um, you know, as a creative who also puts out writing, who also makes a lot of things, are you okay with people arriving to their own conclusions about what you've made? Do you try and guide them in a certain way? How do you feel about the interpretation of your art um, once it sort of exits the studio and enters the the world or you know the public or, or a store i think um for aesthetics reasons a lot of people focus on the surface but that's mm. almost what you have to do to catch people's attention first mm. steps but people only think about the first steps a lot of the time and then they don't really follow through but you know in a world like this is overly commercialized and capitalized it's basically the first step is good enough yeah so for us, we believe everything is in pieces for us. Is everything is fragmented. Sure. Like us as a whole, to make a whole of us, you need million and you can split that million into billion pieces and then mm. that kind of binds together into you with all your veins and blood and your brains running. And for us, that basically means nobody can really escape first impressions. Sure. So for us, first impression is almost like the most important part, but it's almost like a curse in itself. Yeah, that's why I do like we really want to put out this this concept of neither, mm -hmm. right? Because neither forces you to look beyond A and B. You kind of yep. need to like look beyond the surface to like dig deeper. So maybe you get introduced through this facade. Yeah, this fragmented facade, maybe either through maybe the multiple ways we're trying to express ourselves, either through maybe the garments itself, yeah. maybe through um, the performance piece that we did maybe through um, the sculptures and then maybe in a white cube setting in some galleries, but maybe you saw the jewelry collaborations we mm -hmm. did mm -hmm. with um, Mona Jewelry, also um, a Chinese designer based in Brooklyn, very talented, always inspired by the ocean, but we're trying to do something fun. So we insert our concepts and combine with her expertise. I will say, if you ever make a fish chain, because you've made a, a knit one, or not a knit, excuse me, like a, um, like a fabric-based one that I've seen on your website and on your Instagram, it's very cool. But if you ever make a fish chain out of silver, please let me know because I've been looking for a good fish fish chain. A fish chain. Everything's yeah. possible. Huge, incredible. Love to hear it. This is the 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 stuff with Mona. That's that's the little the little guys. guys. Yeah, I love the little guys. So, so much. that's initially what caught my eye from mm -hmm. Wenjulu. We were in Commune, and uh, it was at the opening party, and I asked, uh, it "Must have been Martin." Yeah, and I was like, "What is this? Who made this? I love these little things. Like, you know, what is it?" I said, "Oh, it's Wenjulu." And I think it was Brandon when we did the podcast. I was like, you guys should talk to Michael. I think yeah. it'd be a really good conversation. Um, you guys have to meet. I came by. Um, I think you guys very, appreciate that. Oh, of course. We met very briefly at the show that you're not showing, but like presentation you did at Commune. Um, you were talking to somebody else and I was like, I'm just going to let him go. I think I said hello. Hit you up on Instagram. But um, yeah, like you said, it is... You know, the the necklaces and the jewelry is what initially caught my eye. But it's really cool because, you know, you walked upstairs and there was that huge, it's hanging above us, there will be video of it, but the huge spiky ball was in there. Mm. There was a tent-looking thing that I don't see in here. 
um, but that you also made. Yeah, it's almost like a cactus piece that's floating yes. by its joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, those are the things that initially catch your eye. And I think one thing that you guys do very well is you make things that are very distinct. And I wouldn't necessarily, now that I know you and the brand, but associate with anything else. Like, even the sculptures, I'd have a hard time placing it on any one existing brand or any one existing artist that I would know. And Thank I think you. part of that is the use of muslin, which I really like. Um, it is very eye-catching, but it's also very tactile. Like, it, you know, using silk or using cotton or I guess muslin is cotton, but... You get what I mean. It it's it's plays with light very well, and I think it is very eye catching because it looks, I don't know, like it looks <sighs> pristine and maybe like scary at the same time. Yeah, like it, it looks like it has texture to it. It doesn't look too yeah. perfect, but in that way, it's like oh cool, like this actually is meant to be like engaged with or touched and like draws you in a little bit. I really like it. I it love, reminds me of a blank canvas. I love that everything has hands. Yeah. Like all of the, all of the sculptures around here all have hands. I love the feet. The feet on yeah, the, uh, the hanging man over there is fantastic. Yeah, I think anthropomorphicness is a, a big part for us as well because, mm. right, you, your brain is built in to recognize human faces. Yeah. Mm. For us, like, oh, for me, right, it kind of applies the same way to like when you add limbs to yeah. stuff. You don't mm. really think that's, oh, that's a tiger's palm. You just write human being so egotistic yeah. like that. That's that's human hand, it's human feet. So they would kind of play with that. Sometimes would get this thing four fingers, three fingers, even yeah, like no yeah. fingers. Well, that's so, why dogs or, develop certain muscles in their faces. They can, they can like better, I think, replicate or or, or uh, communicate like emotion and look more pitiful oh. to humans. So Leo, my fucking dog, who's an asshole and manipulative, has like that eyebrow pinch, and he like makes himself look really pitiful. They develop that to like better manipulate humans. It, it, I mean, it's That's interesting, so right? Like you look for mm. Anglo, that kind of developed over concepts. like years of domestication as yeah. well. Yeah, so it's kind of you know fucked up how it actually come about. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just love that. Like, there's so many sort of just like shapes, just like yeah. regular objects, but then you put arms and legs on them, and now they're cute little guys. Yeah. I think like cuteness is a nice disguise and it's like yeah. a nice yeah. thing, you know, a toolkit to use to grab that, you know, first impression that yeah. people value so much. I think, I mean, looking back to cuteness, especially in the Japanese sense, you're talking about um, Shishiko and I guess Boro as well. But, you know, like the cute aesthetic was born out of Japanese like post-war, post-atomic bomb drop. Um, as sort of a, a departure from like the grimness of having a you know country eviscerated by an atomic bomb, um, almost like a forced surrealness that people exactly. need to survive and cope. Exactly, but it's it's a I think it's a really interesting way of drawing people in, and it's eye catching, and it's it's fun and it's playful. But at the same time, once you dig into it, it's like oh my god, like <laughs> there's a reason why it's fun and whimsical. Like it's yeah. kind of dark and depressing. Um, yeah, but I, I you know I really like that there's a design ethos. More so than a design concept, if that makes sense. Yes, I think, right, the, that's better word to put it, maybe ESOs, because gradually we don't intentionally and consciously try to do that, but gradually become a world-building process. Mm -hmm. But then it's for us maybe to be cliche, let's try to channel something from this whatever realm that could be existing mm -hmm. and where people see them be in, and then but it's right there in front of your face. Yeah, And then scale along with, cuteness is also a beautiful cover in disguise yeah. for getting first impressions. So when you make something big like this, 
<laughs> it's a foot as well. I love and that. And then it just hit you like a like a statue, like a totem, but then it almost had this monolithic quality mm -hmm. the same way basically it just gains the aura instantly with scale no matter what you can blow up a snoopy you know a hundred you know ten thousand times it will like shock the fuck out of you and you maybe you know people might find them like resembling jesus in a way yeah Yo. i uh, i did want to ask it popped in my head while we were talking about it so you mentioned using fabrics from dong community in china yes. are there other either chinese fabrics or chinese concepts um because you are from China, um, that you'd like to integrate into your work and ones that you're looking towards. I mean, you work with a um, Hong Kong-based group out of the Garment District to make your clothes. Do I have that yes. correct? Um, yeah. Are there any concepts that you'd like to integrate into the current design language from China, um, whether it be fabrics or just you know shapes, clothes? Yeah, coming from China, we do want to be um, both worldly but also connecting to right the culture where. Um, basically forced to born into so we yeah. have to get familiarized with so like once we get familiarized with it you kind of get like the eastern side of things mm -hmm. and us being here in the western hemisphere we kind of already i think being bilingual it's a blessing and then yeah. once a person becomes bilingual they will just go into a different paradigm sure and then it's like no going back and then well, it's i like, speak french but that that only means that i get to interact with french people so that's not great it's not useful <laughs> i think at all. the moment you can like speak a second language to the point you can sometimes talk to yourself with it yeah right think about things in that particular language you're already putting yourself into maybe a different persona you just carve out of you yeah mm. yeah i think that's really interesting i mean you mentioned also being worldly do you find yourself traveling a lot and looking for inspiration from other cultures or where does your inspiration stem from? Well, we're in the 2020s. It's yeah. like the internet age in paradise and everything's rampant everywhere. If you dig hard enough, you see yeah. things everywhere from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes they do come in their authentic ways. You mm -hmm. find people trying to represent them online with like heart and love. Yeah. and sincerity and right being started we started in t late 2020 it's been almost four years for us now right we were stuck throughout in the new york city throughout the pandemic when yeah. it really like waters water like maybe the waters have come down only really after 2023 like that yeah and still right for me it's still something that we need to keep an eye you know out for yeah. scientifically speaking and also for us to be stuck in here not maybe as a curse but also maybe a blessing in disguise is mm -hmm. that this is new york city yeah people flock here from everywhere yeah bringing their cultures and you know whatever they believe in and trying to coexist sometimes they don't but then the clashes makes this boiling part pot this stirring pot it's really yeah. beautiful you get good kind of clashes bad kind of clashes people die from the clashes people rise from the clashes but we try to like play with these you know bigger waves and smaller ways yeah. and trying to like you know coexist and survive in it so let's see how how long we can actually make it in here yeah yeah it's cool do you have any favorite motifs to work with so i mean looking around and obviously camera static so you can only see some clothing behind us but you've got a bunch of hanging men you've got a planet a big sort of plus sign a box some spherical conical shapes you've got another planet over there it is interesting that there. you see a sphere and immediately call it a planet well it makes me think of jupiter because it has the ring around <laughs> it does that make sense yeah i get it um and just also the way the light's hitting it. It, it not to not to be that guy but it makes me think of like 
intro art class where you draw the sphere and then you have to do the shading about a hundred times it, like perfect oh my god yeah fuck, like all the spherical but, stuff that you are catching so and yeah. also you might go this like from the same um sculpture series that we yeah. did um um some most of them in 2022 and we finished the, some of them up some are still in progress basically yeah. you see those spherical shapes that hasn't got the limbs yet yeah um they're like they're about to have limbs basically eventually <laughs> or they they might not yeah but for us these are called um the euclideans kind mm. of borrowing the word euclidean being geometrical yep so when you have a a thing that's irregular you start entering the non-euclidean playing yep and for us that's like really fun to play with don't remind me of my my senior year math yeah, class math my class more fun, year, than, more fun math for class. asians than americans <laughs> every time so yes but then this really comes from um you know at the very bottom of it at its core it's mm. actually a critique for the chinese artistic art education industry and like the institution um, basically how that come about is right why we have to really trying to make it here then and in that place is maybe the amount of um, creative limitations that you do have there interesting so for people to enter um, the art education system in China they do they need to do it in a very young age because by the time they graduate high school they go through this national art test Oh, okay. To see if they can get into any good kind of art school at all, or if they don't, sure. if their parents rich enough, they send them abroad. <laughs> so, sure. to go through this education, art education system, like for example, you're learning how to paint, how to draw. Yeah. You kind of start people. Some people send their kids, you know, to some prep class since like the age of three. So it's the same as like a standardized test where they're studying for this. Yeah. Also, like on when you enter a high school, you almost have to declare, right? You want to be a. Um, more um art and science yep or like you have to you know if art is a singular also yeah, aspect yeah. that people kind of have to pick and then they can't really do anything it's like else. declaring a major in college exactly Yo, Got if i was if i was like constrained to what i wanted to be at age like 14, 14 exactly i would be in a horrible place right but it now. wasn't even 14 <laughs> like at age three your mom put you into this painting class Damn. and then basically you have to do that like if, for example if this other mom thinks like piano better go to piano class maybe yeah. the only choice at age 16 is to be sure. a musician but then chinese is always hardworking, and also maybe we're like collectively we need like for me, so this is my opinion, we need more collective education for us mm. to have the toolkits to really be a critical thinker. Yeah. So basically what uh, also the system itself is um, hindering that um, process, basically. As sure. a kid, you just don't get to really encourage to like, oh, draw your own shape. They want you to be able to recreate a Renaissance painting, oh, you know, brush stroke by brush stroke by the age of 12. Interesting. So, so it doesn't necessarily artisans, not it doesn't artists. necessarily encourage creative expression, but rather creative imitation. Basically, because okay. creative expression is dangerous yeah. for a country that's still in somewhat of a quasi dictatorship energy. So forgive maybe a, a slightly ignorant question, just because I don't follow a lot of Chinese artists. I know Ai Wei or Ai Weiwei. Um, he's sort of the big Chinese artist I know, and I, I, I know others, but they're photographers. They don't necessarily comment. I was a good example. Um, are there a lot of Chinese, maybe dissident artists that will then leave China and use art as a medium to critique China and the art community as a whole? Yeah, almost if like, if they don't have relatives in the government, they have to do that. Interesting. Mm. Just oh being blunt. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. Did you engage in the system when you were younger? Were you sort of put onto a track either by your parents or by yourself? Um, and did you feel like you wanted to break out of it? Was there some sort of uh, degree of comfort knowing sort of your path at an early age? I think, um, yeah, my mom and dad put me, tried to put me through a lot of things. They put me on this Chinese chess class. Okay. They put me on this, um, you know, Olympic mathematics class. Yeah. You know, before the age, like before I was in middle school, basically. Mm-hmm. And they also tried putting me on like a um, instrument class. But like, I wasn't good at none of those. <laughs> I suck at instruments. Basically, I like, I have no interest in all those. So like, you know, yeah. interest is the best teacher. But I was always curiosity driven. But then to yeah. escape, sadly, all I can do is to like really hop on a device and find games to play. Yeah. So, you know, I I play a lot of games on all kind of mediums like until I was in college when sure. I really do have the two kids like right here. Um, when I went to NYU to really mm-hmm. like grow, also mature to an age that I can really think about myself like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does take a good degree of introspection. And I remember going through it as like at college. I remember at age twenty being like, "Actually, I don't think I want to be a mathematician. Like this kind of fucking sucks." Oh yeah, like, I realized I was in the wrong major about when I got my master's. Yeah, for me, you never <laughs> no. really become adult until you are thirty. <laughs> yeah. So like eighteen is a fake number to trying to put yeah. right. Twenty one is the drinking yeah. age. All that shit. I say this all the time. I I still have my soft spot on my head, and I just mash it with a hammer every now and then to yeah. keep it nice and soft. You know, That's just a keep good myself, reference. yeah, just yeah. keep myself nice and uh, oblivious. Um, oh, but I, I did want to say, I really do like how, and I guess we were talking about it, but yeah, I never even get to the actual part because during right as they were training you to be artisans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe from like age three to like age eighteen, every day besides That's you crazy. start replicating Renaissance painting. Yeah, they get, they have all these like you know you go to a French painting class they have these yeah. like sketches trying to do charcoal sketches on this geometric plaster cast yes and then um you know chinese will go you know even crazier to like oh let, let me cross two cuboids together and don't care about the religious reference that it might have because not sure. much chinese are christians and then create like a cross but then they basically it's for them it's only two cuboids yeah interjointed so like it was nothing about like the cross and the christ like that but it was like something they want to create a more difficulty and more maybe interesting challenge for the kids to practice the shadings. So they would do this every day. Like yeah. They would do hundred, if not, you know, a couple hundreds of these every day. You know, they would rearrange it, do one more, rearrange, do one more until they get good. Do you think great art can be born out of... So I think that... I'll put my own opinion aside. Do you think great art could be born out of almost like complete obliviousness and not knowing any reference, not knowing any like old masters to replicate, not having any necessarily formal training, but just I saying think so. great art? I think so. I or do think you think for, you need like an art education in order to make great art? I think that's like a just multiple way to different way to approach it, basically. Like sure. how do we define art is very arbitrary. For mm-hmm. me and Lulu, the way we believe is that, right, as human beings, we are living in a collective and like broadcasting history every day yeah. so for us there's no real originality like we mm-hmm. wouldn't say like any of our shit is original like so anybody can plagiarize it basically like you know that's a definition that needs to be you know re-seen re- re- as well but like we right we take all our references and try to combine all these references together into a synthesis process mm-hmm. but who says that's anything original yeah if like the history doesn't inform this we wouldn't be here so if that's basically our take on like that allows us to create and also to throw out stuff that we don't kind of associate with our ego or it doesn't like 
maybe I have to throw this dart out. It travels across the globe. Yeah. It never would land back to, to the two of us as individuals. But it's I rather it. like I try and do like, because it wouldn't mean anything if nobody is trying to define it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I mean, again, like going back to childlike and even just putting hands on things, like the more you look at these, these, you know, sculptures, and it, this also goes into art history, but looking at sculptures of like hanging men, um, or I guess they are men because you've put hands and feet oh, on lynching. them. Huh? Lynching. Yeah. No, I mean, that's sort of what it ends up invoking, but it's interesting because it's not necessarily the initial way that it reads just because it is a little bit childlike and playful. But I do mm. appreciate that there is a layer of, well, you know, there, there are multitudes to all art, obviously, but it's not super in your face about it, which mm-hmm. I also enjoy. Um, I don't know. I think, I think like uh, all the, right, I was saying everyone's fragmented. Yeah. So every artwork's fragmented. So, right, yeah. you walk into this particular gallery, you saw this um, sculpture at this particular end, anger, yeah. uh, angle. I'm sorry, excuse me. But that was already a steel frame that you yeah. pause, first impression, snap. Yeah. And that's basically the, the piece of fragment you were yeah. handed in the first place. And it's the moment you start working closer to that thing and trying to circulate it together you know, infinite other pieces, the yeah. longer you want to spend with it. And then you try to look up, you know, the, the label, who's the artist, when is it? All yeah. those are tiny fragments. So for me, like, I believe in like these fragments being like, you know, alive and physical and inform every one of us and keep us going. Yeah. But then every fragment's already contain the entirety. Yeah. But then at least that's the way we want to approach it. So when we can uh, approach something, if we don't start, right, with this ESO, this world, and the concept that comes from that, and then the actual physical references, historical references, philosophical, you know, literature references that we have to do it right. When writing a poem is almost like poetry is the betrayal of like right the written language and the oral language sure. in its right actual form, trying to like oh in, like tell you or you know you don't you don't boss people around with poems. Yeah. So basically, for us, that's a beautiful way to try to like escape. That's when you're trying to attempt to get to that meter mm-hmm. realm with like, you know, the written language, the spoken language and try to hit at something that's almost subconsciously you will need to find a different way to express. Yeah. And I think like that doesn't only applies to the literal way, the, the textual way with poetry, right? Life is a poem that we're writing when we're breathing in it. And maybe that's like slightly Taoist from our side. Mm. And Taoism is a big topic too. So people can be a Taoist and be a far-right extremist. So it's really important that you kind of pinpoint exactly what in Taoism attracts you. But for us, it's almost like, you know, global warming is real, climate change is real, the earth is dying. So that kind of side in us allows us to associate with this quote in Taoist. It's called um, 天人合一 in like Mandarin, 天人合一. Yep, in um, Cantonese, but in English it means heaven's will and the human as one. Mm. But then heaven in right the East Asian context will never be a Christian kind of God up there. Yep. Mm. But it's about right the world itself, basically nature. So right, team, like this quote is about trying to find that symbiotic relation, right? Constantly feel everything, feel the spirits that's moving in every actual object that's physical and non-physical metaphysical also so to really find that balance to coexist otherwise right maybe we only have five more decades certainly hope not that's <laughs> slowly what i'm learning at school as time is going out but yeah. could you tell us more about taoism as a whole because i you know 
again, I don't know that much about it, but I'd love to know, I guess, more about the actual practice itself, the philosophy behind it, and then how you relate to it, just either in your practice or in your daily life as a creative or as an artist. I think Taoism is very much a metaphysical philosophy, mm. but also it's a um, science in itself. People, um, this like, uh, it's a huge concept and topic, and um, multiple um, historical figure, um, Chinese historical figure, has contributed to it. Lao Tzu, Zhuang Tzu, mm-hmm. they're like two the prominent figures in Taoism. They kind of write did the foundational text and all that for like the Taoist philosophy to. Um, be developed and be picked up and then trying to be continued. Sure. So there's an aspect of Taoism that people, it's almost like um, this weird cultist branch of Christianity. They're trying to do alchemy. They would oh, call you yeah. right. They would call you a cultist, basically. So, so like, legitimate alchemy, turning things to gold? Yes. Interesting. The Chinese nice. try to do it, but then they do try to make gold from anything, but also they're trying to make this um, one pill you can take to live forever. So they also look for immortality. Yeah. But, you know, it also gets really, um, I think, philosophical in a way, um, especially with Zhuang Zhu. Yep. He kind of discussed a lot about um, dreams, but also like um, actually what an actual utopia could be like. So they're actually trying to actually to get in um, hand in hand with how to do like a social transformation and reimagination of how you can really better ourselves, but then better ourselves by realizing that humans should not be dominating anything. Nobody should be dominating anything. We are just like, it's almost very like a Buddhist Hinduism yep. kind of combining with everything as one. So it kind of had this um, Buddhist influence Interesting. from India. Was Taoism a offshoot of Buddhism originally or was it its own religious or philosophical I would say concept? it's heavily influenced by Buddhism, but also right, I Ching yeah. from, from China. It's also like, it's like old foundational text. Okay. For a lot of um, later religions, and when it kind of meets with Buddhism, that kind of makes the entire Chinese philosophy come to life. Got it. So I asked before, but I'd like to bring it up again. Do you feel like it informs your practice at all? I think, yeah, I think so. If like we want to describe this this world that we're trying to build, mm-hmm. it's probably a, a Taoist utopia that we're trying to like tap into, but we will never get there because mm-hmm. we believe in this neitherness, almost like when Susan Sontag brings about this campness, um, that camp with the word, but then she can't really just put a label on it, right? She can't really just camp and then like it's a noun or it's a verb and then yeah. try to define it and like mm-hmm. urban dictionary or some shit. You kind of need, <laughs> right, 10,000 urban dictionary entries. Yeah. And each of them kind of using either, I can use the actual sculpture, actual yeah. place from the from um, back in the days, but then also currently what's happening around the world that I can, you know, draw this um circle around this dot that's all undefinable yeah because that's how apple changed the definition of apple yeah so for us it's right this neitherness is kind of signifies the unknown sure but there's two kind of unknown it's like one is outside of yourself yep the other one is inside of yourself Mm -hmm. so when it's outside of yourself you kind of try to right you need to you realize oh like the world that i know right now is not all that's of it it's so big that i could never tap to the end of it so i need mm. to keep tapping into it and then that's for us right an essential quality of neitherness but then the other point is like what's the unknown inside yourself and for us neitherness is that naivete to both of these when it's inside of yourself mm. you realize that today i'm not in my final form mm. tomorrow i maybe i will watch a film i will just trip on the rock and you know 
bled over like, over my head, and then that would be a paradigm shift. Yeah, I lose my leg, or like you know, God forbid, you know, something happens that's so traumatic. You realize that, oh, I'm not done with my ego yet. Because yeah. who's telling you to stop? Yeah, looking more deeper into the world and looking deeper into yourself. Not it's yourself and your ego. For us, it's right to do anything that's sincere. You need to try to dissolve that. Yeah, you may never do that, but. You should always try to do that. Yeah, I I feel like the thing about like camp and things within that sort of argument is like uh, uh, sort of a a strong enough um, person could argue anything is camp. Like yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that like it doesn't have it. Its definition is like loose enough that you can sort of just like if you get a confident enough person, they could convince you pretty much anything's camp. I think it's almost easier to define what is not camp than Mm. it is to define what's not camp. Uh, and I think it's it's almost like a, like a feel like you know when you've gotten there, mm, yeah. right? And a lot of it is that same confidence. But like, what is not camp? Like you Balenciaga. see, Balenciaga. Mm. Balenciaga's camp. Balenciaga's I think. Camp. Yeah. See, oh. see, yeah. like this why when we need to agree to disagree. That's I why we need fl- fluctuating definition for shit. The uh, the finance dudes that are so deep into it, where they're actually wearing the vests, that's mm. not camp. But if I wore the vest, that'd be camp. Uh, See, like when we this is when we hit the ego ego wall. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, right. Uh, deep sea welding is camp. Regular welding is not camp. Regular welding can be camp, though. Uh, <laughs> it can, it can. I think this is like but what makes human being human being. Yeah. yeah, we like all disagree, but we somehow agree to disagree because yeah. right hope is a common thing. Hmm. Right, tomorrow I still want to wake up and get going. Whatever yeah. the fuck I'm doing, I could yeah. be doing the McDonald's shift for another day, but still, One of I don't want to just kill myself today. One of the things I really enjoyed, I, I visited Australia in 2019 in the summer, um, and I did this research project on uh, climate change and how it affected rural communities. Um, I won't go too far into the, the actual research. It's riveting. It's really bad for rural communities. Um, but one of the things I really liked about Australians in particular is they don't really care what you believe in as long as you're willing to argue it and stand by it. Which is really cool. So I'd get into like, not screaming matches, but very spirited debates. And never at a point did the other person feel like they wished ill on me or like had any malintent or anything of the sort. Yeah, they just amazing. wanted me to like present my opinion nothing and hear personal. them out. Mm. Nothing personal. They were just like, I enjoy that you're willing to have this conversation and have this opinion and stand by it. And like that's it. There's there's no horse in the Australia race. Australia should start a podcast. They should. I if I fuck with Australians. Rural <laughs> Australians are something that podcast. Dude, the entirety of Australia. I fucking love Australians. I could go about this for for. I, they're just the most wonderful people. It'd be an um, infinite infinite like you know section where like you know they just let the entire population go from like, yeah. the oldest to the youngest. Like every day's people. Yeah. But something I try and do, and I'm not great at it, but I I try is if somebody has an opinion, not necessarily getting angry at them for holding it, but trying to get to the bottom of why they hold that opinion and, Mm. like, where it comes from. And I think that's genuinely an interesting way to go through life. And I'll loop this back to interview in a second, but just bear with me here. I think that most people could get over their social anxiety if they just understood the person that they're talking to has an opinion and there's a reason why they hold it. Not necessarily because they're angry at you or because they have any, you know, they feel any. Yeah, type you're of not way. talking to that person. You're talking to a bunch of fragments. Exactly. And those fragments, like, really, they when they are together in the flesh, they are a person. 
but whenever you're on a conversation, you can only touch on one fragment at a time or maybe mm-hmm. two, depending on the depths of the conversation. Exactly. But you could never really be one with that person almost because to meet all those fragments, you really need to shatter yourself enough and that other person have to be willing to do so as well. And, you know, as we know, it's almost impossible how yeah. many best friends for life you can get in throughout yeah. your lifetime. No, but I exactly like that's I think what allows at least me personally to engage with new people in a in a meaningful way. But also I think what and when you have a nebulous concept of of either neither or even just as Wenju Lu as as a as a concept, you do need to be able to understand that there are a lot of things going into it. And this is true for the, any fashion brand. You know, I, I don't mean to say it like this, but like Wenju Lu Wenju Lu is not unique in the fact that it is creating art um and creating objects and clothing and whatever it is but i really enjoy that it's not just we wanted to make clothes that look cool or we wanted to make sculptures that look cool yeah it's more about keeping the living living entity alive right when you do something creatively like i imagine right the pair of kings to be right when you guys like conjoined in a way it's right here it's not like in you, it's not in you, but it's mm. something that's here, invisible links, you know, connected. The moment you stop thinking about it or breathing about it, you know, it kind of fades, kind of, mm. you know, kind of starts like, you know, tumbling, mm. maybe shrinks. Eventually it might get reduced to nothingness, but you know, for as long as it was alive and as it was documented, people can find that tiny piece of maybe like an archaic fragment of it. But that's what basically they keep it alive. Right? Yeah. They throw in the back of their head until the day they die. If they, you know, if they tell them their children's about it, fragments get translated and then you know passed on. Yeah. That's how human f- works for me, and like, how life works in general, and yeah. how you know also a key for us to realize to really you know save the world in a way. What we don't tell you about Pair of Kings is that it's not one and two; it's uh, half of one, half of two, half of one. We've each got half of each of the pair of kings yeah. in us. Yeah. Exactly. We are not the kings ourselves. But you know, you can still you do keep splitting. Kind of like that. a Punnett square of sorts. <laughs> it's like infinitely splittable pies, or yeah. like you no know, paper that you can constantly bend. You know, keep yeah. folding and folding, and into that one singularity, and then boom, it yeah. kind of exploded on everyone. Yeah. Uh, we should um, we should get you to. Uh, so we have a Discord. Oh um, yeah, good always, call. Fuck, I always forget this, <laughs> Michael. This is why you're here. We have a. This is why I'm here. Um, <laughs> we it's for the Discord. Um, we have a Discord. Um, we invite people to join it, but they have to prove to us that they've listened to an episode. Um, so if you would like to join the episode, um, join the discord, you mean, join join the discord. I always do that. If you would like to go back in time and be on this episode, if you'd like to join the discord, um, Michael, what should they message us? At pair of Kings pod on Instagram.com. Please stop messaging me on my personal. It's very sweet. Keep messaging me on my personal. It's funny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) what, what does that question like intends to it's seek. it's it's that we just it's we have them me- message us anything yeah. um any sort of like word or phrase or image that uh proves to us that they listened to at least this portion of the yeah. podcast and then we bring them into the the discord, discord. We call it the the happiest place in fashion. It's a very very nice yeah. place. Let, let's do um neitherism. Neitherism. Cool. I love that. Message me or pair of kings discord <laughs> and not solve <laughs> Neither is fucking yeah. <laughs> Message specifically Saul, and then send me a screenshot of you messaging Saul, and I'll let you into the Discord. Um, I can, I've gotten multiple uh, 
amen. You know where I can get some of them sweet, sweet Balenciaga links in the last week, which was our last phrase. Yeah. And I got really confused the first time I saw one because I was like, what are you asking me? Yes, you need to get used to that. Yeah. Yeah. Neitherism. So we're we're on video right now, which is really cool. Um, And something that I need to remember that we're doing. We're not just doing audio. Would you take us through some of the favorite things you have around? Um, I guess Michael and I can sort of touch on some of the favorite things. Personally, I think the favorite thing that I have in here of yours is this. I don't know if it's muslin because I can't tell from here, but it's a cactus. Mm. Um, Make me think of home. Yeah. It's made with the same fabrics right here. Oh, the down people so fabric. Cool. So right for us, the definition of muslin is trying to us trying to redefine it in a way that neither shouldn't be one definition. Well, you talk. I'm going to go get it so we can show it on video. Undye, like any unbleached, undyed natural fibers for us qualify as muslin. So mm. muslin becomes this language. Basically, we're trying to speak for us as not a color in itself, right? It's nature's color. So if I'm using unbleached, undyed cotton, it's in that off-whitey color. But if I'm using linen, depending on the sunshine that it gets and how early and late it was harvested, you get Mm. different hues of like raw linen. And for us, right, this is like one of our um, sculpture piece, the Cactus Studies. I think this one is um, called um, the Cactus Studies, one of them. And then it's called a knot because of the knotted texture. Ah, I was going to say, so my grandmother and why I I like this so much is she has kept the same cactuses for 43 years. Beautiful. uh, Maybe longer now. But uh, she um, started in Potomac, Maryland when my grandfather was working uh, working at the NIH. And she's had the same cactuses forever. And I just associate her and her kitchen and her like being with her with cacti. Which is very funny because she lives in in Massachusetts now, which is like you know at least cactus rife place. That's so beautiful. That's a fragment yeah. you get from exactly. looking at it and then yeah. combining with the fragment deep inside of yourself. Yeah, for us, right? That chemistry is basically what make art art. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's interesting because especially within fashion, you look for those sort of motifs or those fragments that you connect with, right? Like, I love fly fishing. I love dachshunds. I love cacti. I like you know whatever it is. And in fashion, you're gated by what is on clothing, what is printed on clothing or what you're able to find or colors or whatever it is. But I do enjoy that it's not, or what you're doing here is not just clothing. You have sculptures, you have uh, art pieces, uh, metal jewelry, whatever it is. And I think it allows for a greater engagement in a different variety of ways, which is fun. And I I, I do really like that. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. I think when Noguchi said, oh, everything is a sculpture, me and Lulu felt that hard because mm. like, I can pull this thing. Not even with this. You can hold this a little bit. Yeah. I just slide this chair right here and then I ask everybody to take a step back and then I can call this you know, stool. I don't know who makes it. I can call it a sculpture. <laughs> That's how you know, modern art works. Oh, but well, you've, seen, you've seen the guy who goes into art galleries and just puts the little tabs like next to trash. Yeah. So he'll like drink a Coke and like wrap my up a Subway sandwich. Favorite game, I think that's so funny. My favorite game at like modern art museums is like, yeah. is that art or is that just like part of the building? <laughs> like yeah, the, like I get that. Like water hose coming out of, of the wall. Like what it, um, a similar, I guess like sort of a similar idea to the, the Noguchi thing is um, there's this Bruce Nauman quote. because I love Bruce Nauman. Bruce Nauman was, um, there's some of his art pieces are just videos of him walking around his art studio. And he says, um, the quote that goes with it is, I'm an artist, so everything I do is art. 
It's great. It's I'm a podcaster. Same. Everything I do is a podcast. Yeah, I'm a pod- exactly. So that's like I'm almost right. You have to combine the communicational aspect that everybody yeah. knows as a yeah. cliche, the spoken and the written one. And you kind of have to play with it. But combining, right? Yeah. Wouldn't work without a video, but wouldn't work without a statement. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you kind of need to mesh. That's already right. attempt or trying to go beyond the a and b as two options because yeah. you tend to really reduce right what should i what's the next steps i would take you always think yeah i need to reduce everything into a and b but you forgot there was infinity yeah. before that similarly yeah. i do think every job is barista <laughs> yeah or like dj yeah everything's, <laughs> everything's everyone's DJ. a dj i'm a data dj you're yeah, a fabric DJ <laughs> on the keyboard like yeah. that and i just like you know dj with my needle and thread yeah salsa an environment dj <laughs> of an environment dj okay. yeah. or an environment barista my, I, we, we won't be able to show it to the camera. We'll, I think we'll, we'll put some video. Hold on, video. Yeah, I can cut in. <laughs> Wait, actually. Yeah, I'm tall. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get that. No, that's installed. The, the, oh, the, the, the yeah. Oh, damn. yeah. No, I can't. I have video of it, though. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll put video I have here, video of it. The, yeah. um, the thing that I'm interpreting as a planet with arms splashing, crushing itself into a wall. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, here. I've been staring awesome. at that all night. It's it's really great. I mean, there's so many interesting things. There's one straight ahead. I I don't know if I could pull it out without damaging it. That reminds me of like a mushroom growth. Um, you see what yes. I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, we call that the. It's funny because we we try to always create something that could be small. Yeah. If you go close enough, but then you can also imagine them to be big, right? I was yeah, saying, yeah. right? Scale. It's a scary cover. You know, to cover a lot of good thing and bad I'm thing. I'm almost up surprised you haven't worked in some capacity with like bonsai trees. Um, cause I feel like that sort of mentality or that sort of ethos would work quite well where things are intentionally made to feel small yet they are quite large or vice versa where they're yeah, meant to feel right. quite Imagine large. Imagine to be small. a tiny little yeah. figure it's inside, like underneath the bonsai tree. It just yeah. looks like the tree of life every yeah. time. So for us, like that power is right in, in us, Yeah. but we don't ask you to do that, but we can invite you to do that along yeah. of a lot of other ways you can experience a piece, mm. an object, yeah. basically. So that we call that the ponds of the New World Towers. I like that a lot. That's so pretty. You mentioned also you're you're looking into making furniture now. Mm. Um, I don't know if we could see it on camera. Would you mind pulling the the ball over? <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Genuinely, yeah, I, it's a little preview out right here. So we're like so prototyping I'm move, some yeah. some furnitures over the course of um 2023. So maybe like 2024 we can do our rendition of this globe, this yoga ball chair that kind of is a posture corrector. But we can it is really try really to play with it. I will say. Can you give the yoga ball arms? <laughs> oh, like you're stop giving me ideas <laughs> because nothing's original. I wouldn't say you know, I took it from Michael, but you can put this tape out and say, "Yo, I inspire with you." No, that's totally fine. I, I, I don't need. I'll cut it out of the podcast. <laughs> don't no, give no, me you credit. I just want to see it, to it with arms. You have to cut it out and send it to me specifically. So you know, I'll just use you in every campaign. Yeah, there we go. Do you ever do you ever like get mischievous and while your friends are like staying over sleeping at your place just sl- sew some arms onto their clothes? Just give them some extra arms. <laughs> no, but people do like I, I like how people like in like first impression really works differently on different person. That's mm. why that's beautiful but also scary, right? Sometimes people fixate that entire thing on yeah. the first impression forever. So like when you're a photographer and you try to do something else when we're like making garment and they yeah. imagine us to be fashion designers, but without knowing that fashion designer could be a fluctuating word for yeah. us. So they would say, yeah, whatever you make, the sculpture could be just like decorations for your, yeah. you know, maybe for photos, yeah. they're just all props. But for us is to play around with that. It's very important to um, 
people come in, they say, "Oh, these are so cute." But people come in, like, yo, these are kind of scary. Yeah, because right, people can imagine the um, those little mannequin look like they're basically called mannequin one, two, threes. Yep. Four, five. So we make like you know, inspired by the fashion mannequin. Yeah. That you the dress forms basically. Yeah. But then it's kind of ugly with the metallic bottom and the wheels. Like yeah. it's supposed you're supposed to make garment, which is like a beautiful medium for expression. It's basically yeah. sculptures that directly interacts with the human body, the physics, and uh, all the part of it. And even when you moves with it, you become a moving sculpture. Mm -hmm. I think that's as pure you, as you can get. To imagine garment to be, you know, maybe some, you know, simultaneously and parallel, um, but outside of the definition of fashion that we do have right now. Because yeah. if you're only right trying to look nice, it's always just an ego thing. It's never about like a fashion, fashion like that. Yeah. It's a fashionable product post capitalism. Yeah. I I will say just as a quick aside, I love being in a, especially like an artist studio, and it feels like. I mean, there's a lot going on, but it's quite nice to see almost like the way that you're thinking or the way that you're setting up a space visualized. And I think, I mean, I took some B-roll. I hope it's enough. I hope people sort of get the sense of what I'm talking about. However, it's very nice to see sort of the work in progress or the work in progress in progress. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, it, it's very refreshing. I love seeing all the different fabrics. I love seeing things sort of you know, there's scraps I think nothing is really finished. Yeah. Right? Like, but then doing too much or too little could kill our work. So I guess the question is, how do you, or when do you feel like something is done? Right? Because I, I used to work as a artist and a photographer and a big problem that I had, especially within painting and sculpture, photography, it's a little bit easier, but is feeling like something is done and you're ready to like put it out into the world. I think, you know, depend on how honest people are. That line is always arbitrary, right? It's yeah. always personal for you know that person or for that group of person or for that one person that's making call for that group of person. Sure. So when do you draw that line? Sometimes people can, um, you know, it was, sometimes it's a lie, sometimes it's real. I experience some of those moments. You just, you know, get to that point. You hit, you finish that one stitch or you kind of just place it at a different angle and you realize you don't want to do anything else to it. Yeah. Like a eureka moment, but that's like, could be a cliche, but also, yeah. right, sometimes you just don't have enough resource and time. You have to call it a pause, basically. Yeah. So that's why, you know, a lot of like younger musicians, they put out their demos and stuff that somehow blew up and kind of people have their first impression that scratchy sound is like you're authentic, but no, like I just didn't have enough money to buy <laughs> the good equipment. Like yeah. I, I don't intend for any of that shit to sound like that. And now but you guys spend are, like loads And now I have to, to make, make it that. so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, for us blowing up and even getting right the investment, getting that check, it's a fucking curse. Yeah. Right? They box you in in that first impression and then you can't really, it's so hard to grow out of that skin until you're really privileged yeah. or really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I imagine it's quite hard, especially when you have people who want what they think your brand should be dictating what your brand should be rather than you dictating it and then being able to witness the final product, which in reality is probably what they want. They yeah. just don't know how to... I guess, let you do what you want? Yes. I, I think yeah. we just want to invite people to tap into the unknown. Like, that's yeah. the like the most pure way for us to exist. Yeah. Uh, you know, realistic speaking, we're still, like, operating. You know, we have, like, garment collection that's purchasable. Yeah. We have, like, sculpture that's purchasable. But then it's basically the way we need to cope to really kind of sustain the way that we do. So, like, as long as we breathe, we get to redefine it. So, like, yeah. sometimes 
that thing that a concept can be you know a ethos can be strong enough yeah. that I don't have to live to like continue it. Yeah. So that would be like a beautiful thing that we've been doing for the longest time right now. That's how human history progress and works, right? Why we're still reading about Hegel, like stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you read a lot of philosophy? I think yeah. I was I used to be a really visual person coming from that gaming background. <laughs> so I went into a lot of like more initially more film. So I feel yeah. like film is a beautiful medium, being yeah. so current as well. We talked about movies. You said, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, one of your favorites is Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain is good. I also like um, Tarkovsky stuff. You know, mm. just cliche art art directors, right? Kubrick yeah. is nice, but then also this film is called um, The Color of Pomegranate. It's um, about the Armenian culture, and then it's like a film poem that kind of tried to oh. use the format of film and trying to get you know at the neither realm with it and trying to just really brutalize the film as a medium when right Picasso brutalized painting as a medium yeah, yeah. which is what we're trying to do as well like not to brutalize in the bloody way but to right to try to just smash things a little bit right hit it hard enough so we can kind of see the cracks that's already there but you know people glue it with materialistic desires and ego yeah so it's hard for you to kind of see as photo cracks even yourself when you look into the mirror but you try to only cover it right with makeups yeah I get what you mean. I speaking about, I guess, videos or, or movies, art, movies. I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but one of my favorite works of art ever was in the um, uh, LVMH Foundation in Paris. Um, and again, I, I don't like Paris, but this is a great museum, and it's stuck with me since 2018, which is what five, six years ago now, five. Mm -hmm. But it was a video installation. It was called a movie. The video, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, was like 40 minutes long. It was just a video of a large field uh, with, I don't know if it was wheat, but just long reeds. Uh, they had set up probably a couple hundred wind chimes. And you would sit down, or you could, on this big bed of the material of the, the field. So it was like cut hay or cut reeds. Nice. And... Audio was fantastic. You could just hear wind and the wind chimes. You could smell it, which is really interesting. I've never had such like a tactile experience. And you just watch the wind come through these long sort of grasses and reeds and blow these wind chimes. I must have sat there for like 25 minutes. And I've never really had that experience with art before, before that point, where I was so like transfixed by the video. Yeah. Even though in reality, it was like staring at like, uh, you know, like paint drying, right? I mean, like it wasn't necessarily like, it wasn't incredibly fast. It wasn't incredibly tactile. There was nothing too flashy about it, but I was completely transfixed and it was amazing. And I think that if you do video especially well, you can really draw people in and like hold them mm. in a way that affects them deeply. Yes, I agree with that a lot. I'm usually, I'm usually really like, I'm very kind of anti-video art installations yeah. Yeah, yeah, until yeah. I find the right one and then I'll sit there for like an hour yeah. and watch an entire movie. I think a lot of video art tries too hard to be video art, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. A and lot of art tries too hard to be art. Yeah, but the other Fat. one that I saw was in Contemporary Copenhagen. It was a huge room. I mean, uh, probably about 120 feet long, 80 feet wide and then maybe like 50 or 60 feet tall colossal and one of the entire walls was this huge video installation of just data about the earth mm. and it had this like crushing brutally loud audio 
to the point where the people I was with like had to leave because it was like this is too loud. But it was a mixture of biological data, global data, and then audio from like people's bodies. So it was like a heartbeat. You could hear like breathing. You could hear like a. It was almost like blood rushing, mixed in with like satellite noise and airline noise and something about it. Oh, I just sat a, on the a beautiful floor. river. Yeah, I just sat in the room for like forty five minutes. You it's know, in that uh, the cosmic latte. Yeah, I was the, just like the average color of the world. Holy this, fuck! This is the average color of the universe. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This fucking god. <laughs> do you know, do you know about the cosmic latte? No, you just uh, I'll pull it up on they, my phone. If they so they they like you know you take a snapshot of basically the entire universe, um, yeah, and you you average all the colors together, you get this like soft caramel beige, basically. Well, like thank you, Cotton, for giving it's, like, it's like the exact color. Beautiful. Yeah. That's why Cotton's giving this natural color. They don't have to go. do stuff about it. It and is the inherently average, imperfect. Average well. color of the universe as perceived from the Earth, found by a team of astronomers from Johns Hopkins University. So, Michael, you just gave me a new piece of fragments <laughs> I'm using to like re. You know, I'm I'm having a paradigm shift right now because yeah. I was meant to say like muslins are imperfect. If you look into it, you yeah. see these tiny brown fecals. Mm-hmm. That's basically when they process the cotton. Yeah. The shells that didn't all yeah. the way came away, go away, and then they kind of get factor. Yeah. Into weaving into them, into muslin, like without bleaching them and dyeing them, you yeah. get this right so-called but, cosmic latte with these tiny freckles that now resemble stars to me. I think mm. it goes back We're to like it. nothing, nothing that's perfect is interesting. Like it's it's interesting initially because it's like, oh wow, like that's really nice. Like it's a almost like a blank sheet of paper where the second anything hits it, it's like, oh, the most but, perfect thing is your ego. No, I don't think egos are perfect. No, like. You you at, when you take a split second to like you know screenshot yourself. Yeah, the perfection is right. Also dictated by how you define like how your you like, what is your ego and how are you making peace with that. And then tomorrow your ego grows. Maybe tomorrow your ego shrinks. But then perfection is that it's a fluctuating line for you. And whenever your egos change and shift, that kind of just like projects a version of perfection for yourself. But my point is, I don't think that anybody can be perfect. I That's don't think why, anything right? is Ego's perfect. imperfect. You just said that. Yeah, but I do think it is not necessarily perfect because I really hesitate to use that word, but beautiful. And it's 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 it takes things getting a little fucked up or things being wrong or people making mistakes to have interest and intrigue. Like in relationships, romantic or otherwise, if everybody always acted in the ideal way, nobody would be having fun. It's not interesting. I mean, yeah, right? There's no beautiful without ugly, right? Exactly. Without com- comparison. Exactly. Not, you, don't, exactly. you don't have the line. So why, why, but then kind of to get to that comparison, you need uh, extremely, like you need two, right? On the scale, you need two yeah. sides. And yeah. then, right, whatever size you have right now, you just pause yourself, right? Your ego determines that for, yeah. like, from my opinion. So basically that's what's like every everybody's issue to overcome with life, yeah. right? You grow up, you kind of have the ego already. But you don't have any toolkits to decipher it and trying to do anything to it. And then you go to college, you say, oh, I'm, I'm a, this kind of guy. I want to do this. You know, I picked this for my major. Let me stick with it and see yeah. what happens. And then and then your ego kind of, you know, either get crushed, 
either get expanded from what you do, like depending on your luck and your privilege and where you're coming from and think, where you were born into. I think anybody's wise. ego that expanded in college needs to just like be avoided. If your ego right. didn't get crushed in college, you were not a human being to me. Yeah, you, you really suffering. you were an ego guy. I don't know. I'm just I'm, I don't even remember <laughs> college. I'm just messing with you. No, it's that like Sisyphus reference. I was right? such a piece of shit in college for my first two years. It is like Sisyphus. Oh, yeah, you got to no, roll that like shit, yeah. I'm like, a piece like, of shit. Life is not a pyramid. If you think life yeah. is a pyramid, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't like when people say I peaked in blank. And yeah, I think that the like second you, you nev- believe you never that peaked. you've peaked, you've, you've peaked. You know what I mean? It's, it's like literally... Your peak, it will never be the highest peak. Yeah, exactly. Like nobody's peak will be the highest peak. Like, you know, when you put it in history, you find a highest peak. But yeah. then, you know, also that's like at this time frame that we're talking about history right now. In 50 years, who know the peak that we're talking about? You know, the Renaissance. The it's still relative. Yeah. It's, right. it's still be relevant. Local, exactly. It's local maximum. <laughs> but then the other thing is you can't, you can't, I mean, temporally look forward and have any frame of reference for what's going to happen to you. All you can do is compare it to what's already gone on, right? So, like, you can say right now I'm peaking. However, in 50 years, you're going to look back and be like, yo, I fuck, I was in a dark place then. Yeah. Like, damn, I was going through it. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think yeah. that, uh, you know, this is way off base. or not even fashion podcasting anymore. The way you but perceive that's time, that's studio, yeah. us as a studio yeah. want to tap into though, like like art is life, yeah. And then like fashion, you know, if you are pure enough, you think it's art, but then art is life. So fashion yeah. is life. But then when fashion is life, and you still want to go into a storefront, pick a clothes out of a rack, and call, yo, this represent me in a certain way. But yo, there's like ten thousand copies of that shit, and like who who the fuck are you? Like you picked one, picked out one fragment that allows you to be the same as ten thousand other guys. At the same time, though, and I'll abandon my earlier point, but I do think it is wonderful to feel a kinship through clothing. Like, if I see somebody wearing something that I'm wearing, especially at this point when I feel like... Yeah, uniformity. Yeah, it is fun and it's kind of comforting. It's like, oh shit, like, yo. Yo, you got that McDonald's uniform like, as well. Yeah, Let's go, fellow McDonald's employees. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I don't think that being... I think you have to try way too hard to be perfectly unique. And I think it does feel really nice. No, to it's feel like, like a realization. It's like we don't have to do much to be unique. Yeah. Existing makes you unique. Yeah. Like why, why draw the line and then why try to be the same if you're already so unique? Yeah. Like why, but then, right, this common sense is so important for us somehow to like not to remember we only have to keep a baseline as simple as like respect your fellow human being. <laughs> keep that baseline respect there and then anything else you can be whatever you want and do whatever you want to keep this community alive yeah in a way for us for like to be sustainable to be keep breathing in another day because whatever happens tomorrow could be the end of the world that hope that's in innate in every human will, will keeps you alive tomorrow and wake up and face the end of the world and still thinking you have a tomorrow yeah and on that note, <laughs> should we do song of the week? Yeah, let's I think do that's, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's the summary of it, I think. We've that's hit our beautiful. local maximum. Yep. <laughs> let's we go. Peaked, honestly. So we do a segment on the podcast called Song of the Week, uh, where every week we ask our guest, or if it's just Michael and I, we ask Michael and Solomon. Um, Solomon. What Solomon? Solomon's crazy. Uh, we ask, what's a song you've been listening to, something you've been enjoying just over the past week or just recently, and we add it to a podcast, or I'm sorry, a podcast playlist called Pair of Kings, where the G is a nine. Um, do you have a song that you want to add either to, or it, it doesn't have to necessarily just be one song, but any song or songs that you'd like to add to the playlist? Yeah, I really like um, 
the the UK like trip hop group Portis Head, and um, they they recently just had this 25th anniversary. They did like this live in New York City actually, and it was like not like one of the few recorded live of them. And they released it as an album back then. But for 25th anniversary, they remastered the stuff and throw in a couple more tracks. Wait, what's going on, Michael? You look really confused. <laughs> I don't remember so the like, song I was. <laughs> it's like the opener humming. It's okay. really nice, the live version. So it's humming by Portis Head, P O R T I S H E A D. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, sorry, I have to look up my, I have to watch my Instagram story because I posted <laughs> the song. Um, I, uh, we're also, we're keeping it British. Um, British. I'm doing Careful by Fearful and MTWN featuring Rico Dan. Okay. You ever heard Rico Dan? No. Who the fuck is Rico Dan? Uh, Me neither. He's a, he's a, like a, like dub and grime artist. Okay. Um, most like, like the deepest, most like incredible voice I've ever heard. Uh. Um, just always sort of, sort of just like yelling funny things. Um, great dude. Um, anyways, yeah, that's the song. And I, my phone is being used to record this episode. So I had to look up my, yeah, no worries. Anyways. Um, I will go with, let me think. I've been listening to a lot of new music. I've, I've recently become a little monster, which Michael is aware of. Yes. Big Lady Gaga fan right now. Um, that being said, I think I'm going to go, uh, uh okay. So Baby Blue by George Strait. Great song. <laughs> I'm a Lady Gaga fan now. My song is Baby Blue by George Strait. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, I, I, I don't want to put on, like, eight songs by Lady Gaga. I, I'll get there eventually. There'll, there'll be some some Judas or some Bloody Mary on, the, like on the playlist. Lady nice. Gaga, the, the soul introduction. Yeah, I fucking love Lady Gaga. However, Baby Blue is a beautiful song. It's a little bit sad. I've been on a George Strait kick as well. Um, but listen, oh, a lot of... Is this like a Japanese um, reggae, new reggae group in the 90s, Fishmans. They also have a song called Baby Blue, I believe. Oh. Oh, Fisherman's? cool. Fishermen's or Fish, Fishman's? Fishman's. Oh. F-I-S-H-M-A-N-S in one word. Baby Blue by Fishman's. So before we get out of here, um, take the floor, Michael. Let the people know where they can find you. Uh, send some shout outs, whatever it is. The floor is yours. Um, yeah. Okay. Shout out, Lulu. The other half of Wendrilu. Like, without you, I'd be nothing. Without, oh, no. without you know, the two of us, Wendrilu would be non-existent. And um, you can find us at um, Instagram at Wenjelu. That's like W-E-N-J-U-E-L-U. And the website is the same with the dot com behind it. So that's where you can find us. And, you know, everyone, as long as you want the unknown, you're like fellow neither. And we're defining neitherism together. So, you know, let's, let's get it. Let's change this world together. Like, don't get, you know, boxed in like that. Open yourself up. Look at your ego, like be humble, normalize suffering, normalize being offended. Know that, you know, you, you weren't even, you can't even choose to pour into this nationality. So why are you so insistent and persistent about that geographical border that's arbitrary? So, you know, think as a human being, like, you know, that like a love or, but like mean it, don't like fake it. Nice. I love that. There yeah. you go. Thank you so much to everybody for joining us on this episode of the Pair of Kings podcast. Thank you to Michael for joining us. This has been Thank you guys amazing. for having us. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, as well as YouTube at Pair of Kings Pod. YouTube is Pair of Kings Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, remember to follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I think we're also on 
There's one more that we're on. I'm just forgetting it. Anyway, I'm your host, Saul Thompson. You can find me on Instagram at Saul Thompson. I'm joined this week not only by my wonderful co-host. I'm Michael Smith. I don't have an Instagram. <laughs> and we are joined by Michael Fang of Wenjulu. You can find him on Instagram at cannedjunk, C-A-N-N-E-D-J-U-N-K. Thank you or Wenjulu, W-E-N-J-U-E-L-U. Um, anything else, guys, before I take us out? That's it. Cool. Yeah. This has been the Pair of Kings podcast, where once a week, every week for the foreseeable future, we're bringing you business as usual, tomfoolery as planned. Have a great Saturday, everybody, if you're listening to this, and have a great, I think this will probably come out on like a Friday if you're watching. Uh, we hope to see you again next week. Love you a lot and take care. Bye, everyone. Peace. Good.